0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy
1: all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. This podcast is powered by SportString.
2: Your digital water cooler what's up everybody welcome back to attention to detail the podcast um really excited to have i mean we just talked what was that two weeks ago when i was in dc yeah um so we we were talking some really good some really good talk and we we're like yo let's just let's just make this a podcast so good timing um my guy josh fan really good um i mean both on the skills and performance perspective side of things um it'll be interesting i'll ask you kind of which one you've um identified with more Um, but I mean we've had conversations about both sides of the spectrum Um, so I think there's a lot of value here in this podcast for both trainers and performance coaches so I'm hyped for it Josh feel free to give um, just kind of a short intro who you are what you've done what are you doing now Um, and just kind of give them a background of
0: of the whole spiel Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, just to give you some background on me, I grew up in the Maryland area, the DMV area, where you are also from as well. Uh, When I was uh, played high school basketball and then went to Boston College, um, where I got linked up with Jeremy Lin when he was a freshman at Harvard. Uh, At that point, I had been doing a strength and conditioning internship for Blair O'Donovan in college. And, uh kind of getting my wheat uh, my my feet wet and and learning learning the trade and and training kids in the area um, and that's kind of how we had a mutual family friend who introduced me to Jeremy and then me and Jeremy just started uh, training at Harvard he would come over to Boston College and we just got in the lab and uh, we were young kids he was 18 I was I was 20 and we just loved training and we just love experimenting and, and just getting after it um, both nobodies at the time. Well, I'm still a nobody, but (laughs) I don't
2: know about that.
0: Obviously he made it to the league. And one thing we always uh, talked about is if he ever made it, would I want to come work for him full time? And so, you know, after that year, he blew up on the Knicks. He asked me if I wanted to come work for him full time. So I I was like, yes, of course. Uh, there's, There's some opportunities you just can't pass up for sure. So i uh, been working for him uh, since then. So, you know, since he was 18 till now, but, you know, he was spent nine years in the league uh, and then, you know, one year playing in Beijing. Last year was in the G League and now he's, you know, back in the CBA. So during that time with him, I mainly handled uh, skill development in the off seasons as well as kind of working with different NBA teams, strength and conditioning coaches uh, and implementing you know, what they wanted. But as you know, the hard part is when you get traded or you go to another team, you no longer have access to (laughs) that, that strength coach anymore. So, and then you go to a new team and they want to do their assessments and they want to do all their testing and and they have their, their system or principles that they adhere by their KPIs that they're trying to measure. And so I guess over uh, those nine years in the NBA, I was kind of able to acquire a a lot of knowledge and see other people's frameworks and systems and kind of learn and see, you know, what worked for us, what didn't work for us, uh, what was helpful or not, and kind of came up, I don't want to say with our own system, but you know, what worked for Jeremy. Um, And because I'm, I kind of travel with him moving from every city to city, uh, including being an assistant coach for the Beijing ducks, uh, the CBA team he was on, you know, I had to, kind of be that swiss army knife you know just because when yeah i had to be the guy who did everything because i was always you know with him right stuff so yeah that's kind of my story and this past year as you know i, I have a newborn uh, we just gave my wife just gave him birth right. a few weeks ago so you know i made the decision to start my own training company called awaken training and right now it's just performance training but you know You've inspired me to you know, potentially, you know, hey, let's go, maybe open my, you know, own gym or court, and so it's a kind of a transition year for me. Uh, but you know, I love both. I, I love the strength and conditioning. I love the performance side and the skill acquisition. The skill development is obviously a huge passion. As you know, I've been on a you know eleven year project with with Jeremy and his, his professional career or you could say 12.
2: True, true. Yeah, I mean, I think, number one, uh, being able to have both of those, um, the strength and the skill side, is is something that kind of helps you see things from a mo- more hol- holistic manner. Um, and that's part of the reason why I enjoy talking to you so much is because you then start to implement the skill into the strength, the strength into the skill, and see that it's really not two separate entities. It's like player development or the development of the athlete or the human is one. Um, And I mean, having worked with primarily with at least one athlete for 12 years, like you mentioned, um, but also being around so many teams and so many players as a part of that journey, you've seen a ton of different methods, qualities, and athletes you've seen the whole nine. Um, So what would you say And this is the most broad question you'll ever get. What would you say makes the best athletes the best athlete? What's what makes the elite the elite? For
0: sure. And, you know, there's a there's a common saying is always Ph.D. in your sport first. Right. Everything we do in the weight room and performance side is is to enhance and. Yeah, supplement our, our what we do on the court. Right. So. It, that being a PhD and being elite at your sport is always going to be the most important thing. And I would say to answer your question, you know, seeing Jeremy with Carmelo, seeing him with Harden, uh, Kobe, Kemba, uh, like Kawhi, all these uh, Trey Young, all these kind of like all star caliber type players or even Steph Curry, his first year too. I, I can't believe I forgot him. I would say the quality is oh, definitely wow. I didn't even realize that it was on the Warriors his first year is um, the quality is, is being an elite problem solver and, and what I mean by problem solver is they are able to adapt quicker than other players on the court whether it's defensive schemes whether it's they're having an off night whatever the situation is they have the ability to adapt to whatever situation is in front of them and be able to, to perform. And so, uh, you know, if you think about the NBA finals or even the NBA playoffs, you're continually playing a team that knows all your plays. They know all your coverages. They know everything, right? They know they, everyone watches film over and over again. They know exactly what sets you're going to run. And so who's, who's going to distinguish themselves. It's, it's the person who can solve the problem faster, right? It's the person who can adopt adapt to the current situation and be flexible. So I do think, you know, that to me is probably the most stand out quality. There are some other qualities I think are, are super important is um, I think the ability to be like curious and what I mean by curious is Hmm. they are constantly thinking about the game and they're constantly, and it goes with problem solving, you know, Einstein said that it's not that he's smart smarter than everyone which is that he thinks about problems longer and I think with elite players film stays with them a lot longer so I remember talking with Jeremy a bunch of times and he would say I would mention a, a play like three games ago in the third quarter and he would be able to he would know exactly what I was talking about he was like oh when uh, this guy was over here I had the ball right it was like 12 seconds left uh, on the shot clock da, da, da. and I was like wow I mean, I, I, I was watching film and, and marking plays that I, I wanted hit, to rewatch with him, but he kind of had that, I don't want to say it's like a photographic memory, but I do think in elite players, they have so many more, uh, mental representations or mental models in their head that they're able to see patterns a lot faster. Right. Well, why does everyone talk about LeBron now being so elite, even though he's a lot older, I think he's like, what, 37 now, um, yeah. even though you're, uh, you, might 30, be slower yeah, or you' or you can't, even though you're, you might be slower or you can't jump as high, if you can anticipate and you know what the play is and as soon as a guy starts turning one way or looks another way or you see that pattern it's like a, an elite chess player they recognize the, the fact pattern they recognize the pattern and they're able to anticipate and make great defensive plays or they're able to organize their team. And so, I think those two qualities are definitely like uh, really up there in terms of, of elite players. I, I don't I can't think of it, elite players who don't have the, those qualities and their ability to make like observations. They're constantly observing and watching, curious. And, and I think because they're they're like that, they're constantly creating a feedback loop for themselves in, in terms of skills and developing their game. That if you keep doing that day in, day out, and you talk about someone like LeBron's career or someone who's played so many games, you know, he plays, including preseason, it can be up to, I don't know, hundred some games every year. It's like light years ahead of, of us, like how many times you've seen a situation and stuff. So I, I would say um, those are the qualities and I'd be interested to hear if you agree.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, for sure. I think, I always call it figure it out ability where it's like you throw a task at an athlete, you throw a situation and environment at an athlete and the best players in the gym are able to figure that out the quickest. And that can even go in the weight room, right? Where technique may not be ideal at first. And you're like, literally just give them one cue or just kind of let them figure it out. And they figure it out. Same thing on the court. You put them in a certain environment and they're able to, Take the most roads to one destination, which is it, which is successfully completing that task um, what where I'm really interested in is how we can train that adaptability problem solving figure it out ability that I like to call it because like you mentioned with LeBron 100 games a year, he's seeing these situations so many times that it's it's repetition right it, it's it's going to come with that repetition now when we're looking at high school player college player even a a player who's in the nba not saying how can we get him to the elite level or like the top of the top but how can we improve that problem solving ability in our training i'd be interested in um your thoughts on how we can attack that
0: yeah i mean there's definitely several things and this is probably a longer question that we'll have to break down into different parts but you know, if, if we take kind of maybe your last Instagram post with like a constraints led approach where uh, two guys are trying to attack and they have to avoid each other and make a layup. Right. The one where you have all the TikTok, you know, hater comments that you're responding yeah.
1: to.
0: But, uh, you know, that that to me is an example of we're, we're trying to one, create uh problem solving. We want people to to make decisions, right? So teaching people to to constantly make decisions throughout their workout. That's why um, you know, repetition, like blocked practice in certain situations is is not like the best for for skill acquisition. It's good for maybe stabilizing a new skill that we're learning if we're trying to correct someone's form or trying to teach them like the new mechanics. Like yeah, you, you need reps. Like there's no way. But once the skill has stabilized, how do we continue to destabilize the skill where we have built in variation to the skill that we're, it's exactly what you're saying. We're not teaching people. Oh, Hey, memorize LeBron has these uh, 20,000 patterns memorized in his head. It's not that if if you watch, so Kyrie played in his first game, like last night, right? 22 points. But if you just watch like some of the movements in the fourth quarter uh, where he was like driving to the basket and he had a fast break and stuff, those those movements, he didn't do the exact same drill in his skill workout. If that makes sense, he didn't exactly. see the exact same fact pattern. But as we know, agility being able to to react to an external stimulus, like he has the tools that he can constantly calculate. Okay, speed, uh, velocity, like just direction. Um, there is. I, I'm trying to think of the. O'Shea, uh, who's O'Shea uh, Brissett? Or I don't, I'm butchering his name. Yeah, yep. He has him isolated, no, at of the key, and he does a left to right crossover, and he reaches to like try to like s- like swim over him, expecting that O'Shea is gonna try to put his hand on him. O'Shea doesn't put his hand on him, so Kyrie leads with his left hand, sees that he doesn't, the guy hasn't reached his hand readjusts his hand pulls it back and then swims it over again that to me is probably a never trained skill set like in skill development if that makes sense like he never did that as a drill with like uh, constraints led or, or cones or something like that but because right. he had an elite skill set he's trained and he has a lot of a lot of variability and variance in his thing he adapted to the external circuit. Sur- the external stimulus, and, and to answer your question in a more succinct way, instead of just going on forever, is is how can, we, good. can we, how can we continue to build that decision making process into our skill development? But then also, how can we use constraints to allow new skills to emerge or new solutions? Right, because your solutions to a certain problem at your height, your speed, your length are going to be different than Kyrie's different than Steph's and during, different to a bigger guy, right? We accommodate based on our ability, right? If, you, if you're if you trash at handling, you're not going to be like, all of a sudden create a new solution, right? You can only do it within the context of your current level of skill. So yeah, that was a really long-winded answer and we can go into <laughs> no, whichever part. No, said. it's good. It's, I mean... How many?
2: No, that that I'm, I have so many thoughts racing through my mind right now. I mean, I think what you touched on last is interesting. Where each athlete will have different attractors. Um, whereas, like if I'm really good at handling the ball on the simplest level, I'm probably going to take more dribbles to solve a solution. If I'm better, if I have better um, deceleration ability on my right leg, I'll probably go that way more often if I want to get to a step back. And we have to consider this in training. Now, I think two common misconceptions came to my head when you were talking about Kyrie, how he adapts, how athletes adapt in general. I think number one is that the game moves slow enough for an athlete to consciously adjust to these things. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of what you see on Instagram and really anywhere these days is like the three best counters to whatever move. And in reality, it's not a, like you mentioned with LeBron, it's not something where we memorize it, it's calculated, and if this guy does this, we jump this way. It's like, sure. no, these things happen so fast that one, anticipation, and two, just almost the the reflex is what's more important. And this is what requires training the decision-making rather than just training the action. And then number two is that Training the action has to be some or the the decision making has to be some crazy complex thing in training. Um, I mean, even I'll do stuff with athletes where it's like, all right, we'll get your block shooting in. But I'll have, you know, one of my assistants or interns or even myself, like I'll step a direction and they just step the opposite way of me and shoot. And mm-hmm. it's like even just the small kind of minute decisions increases the engagement in the pro- in the, the training process. Where it becomes less mindless, less automatic, where it's just shot, shot, shot. Now everything is a decision. Um, I posted something about contested shooting the other day, and people were hot about it. I was like, why? And I think a lot of them thought that making decisions in training comes with, you know, making crazy Kobe fadeaways. Like, dude, I'll have someone Mm -hmm. just put a hand up on... catch and shoot three and we're shooting simple shots um but it's just the the perception and action to it and actually um implementing an environment for adaptability so those are the big things that i kind of took from that um Mm -hmm. and i'm just curious as to so we've talked about kind of the skill that the technical um one thing you hear a lot from you know, everyone from announcers to coaches to just the average um viewers like he has the it factor. He has it. He has it. Like I'm curious being around a lot of players in your shoes who have had it, what do you see is it? What what's the it factor in a lot of these top tier athletes?
0: Yeah, and it's obviously a challenging question because we call it it. <laughs> if there was a if we yeah. could be specific <laughs> And label it we wouldn't call it it it's because we don't actually know what it is that we have to call it it and describe it or you know it's it you know it <laughs> when we talk about it so I mean that that is a great question I, I, I can't say like I have if I knew what if we any of us knew what it was that would be a million dollar thing that we could be able to train <laughs> into players. I think that maybe in our lifetime would be a great, uh, I would be, I would love to understand that more. I have some thoughts as to it. I definitely think it's a multifaceted factorial answer as in like, you can't say this guy got this type of training or this guy's strength and conditioning, or this guy is just built different. Well, if you are just built different, well, someone built him, though. like whatever the factors were, environmental factors, training factors, like that all led to his ability to to do things. So I would say a few things um, thinking outside of the box, maybe one would be there is a deeper reason for why they play the game. like, and I don't mean that in a woo-woo way. They have a why. It's not, there's a deep why for why they play the game. And I think it's maybe different per person Um, as in there's something more driving them than just, I just want to win this game. Or uh, I just love basketball. They're they're playing for something more in my, that's one of my beliefs. Uh, I would say definitely the environmental factors. So how you're shaped as a kid, whether you grew up, uh, what area you grew up with? Um, are you the youngest child? did were, were you are, are you the youngest of three kids and having to fend for yourself and survival and always uh, developing the mantra of like fearlessness like I'm, I'm I'm gonna kick my brother's butt like there's no way I'm losing today that that constant dog and drive that you know that is very. Uh, a quality that is identified in in a lot of younger kids. A lot of the top athletes in the entire world are like second children or third children uh, who had to compete their whole lives. So I do think, or the environmental factors of being able to be resilient, uh, hitting those game winners, having that mentality from a young age, that grit that's developed from, you don't have to grow up in a, in a really hard neighborhood, But you have to have certain factors that created that, I guess. Um, So I I would say that's definitely, you know, the the second quality. Uh, And then the third quality is just everything we just talked about, like your physical skills, your tactical ability. How fast can you observe? How fast can you iterate feedback loop? How hard did you work? Like your vertical speed, all those things combined, I would say is the mixture of of the third you have to have the physical tools if that makes sense uh to to be able to execute on the thing like if you don't have the physical tools to throw a a 100 mile per hour pitch like you're not going to be or or 90 mile per hour pitch you're not going to be in the major league baseball league like you have to have some physical qualities at least within striking range uh so that that would be my guess as to the it. If you have a if you know what it is, if you know what the it is and, and you haven't made a video yet and you're holding out, then I'll be upset. <laughs> I
2: have I have the secret sauce guys. I'll uh I'll charge everyone fifty grand for the uh for the it factor. No, I mean I think it's it's uh I don't think it's anything that anybody will ever put um a label on or have an equation for because I mean, you just, you start to learn just looking at all this stuff is like, and you would know this probably way better than me is like, there's no way to quantify all this stuff. It is just, there are too many factors, too many variables. Um, And one person's it factor may be different than another's it factor, you know, different athletes um, have different reasons as to why they're so successful and different coaches or viewers have different um, definitions or Feelings about their it factor. So, what I'm really curious is, um, or in your opinion at least, can we train the it factor, or is it just something that's genetic? You're born with it from early childhood. Even it's just kind of set.
0: I I think we can train it, but whether you'll have like an it factor of a Michael Jordan, a Damian Lillard, like that, just killer instinct, Gilbert Gil zero, like. Yeah. I think everyone maybe has like a, a, like a cap of potential and there's definitely ways to maybe train closer, but that doesn't mean you're going to ever be like that. So, I mean, when I was younger, I I don't know if this is true. I would love to ask Gilbert Arenas, but I remember reading a story about him talking about how to train that uh, game, game winner mentality, like hit those like buzzer beaters lots of times he'd play in these pickup games or these pro-am games and he would purposely not take shots till the last shot like he wouldn't shoot a shot till the game winner shot and he he only wanted to shoot that and that was his only kpi is do i make this game winner shot um so it in, in that's reps right like you can't you never know when you're gonna get a buzzer beater chance in the in, in NBA, you might never ever get a buzzer beater chance. So to find ways to iterate those feelings in practice are, are rare. And you and I had this conversation where we talked about, um, you know, Jamal Crawford and how there was an article, how I think Jamal Crawford said he never really did block practice or shoot on a gun or, or do like rep shooting. But then we talked about, yeah, well he plays in the Seattle pro-am and he shoots 30 game fade away, th- between the leg, tween, tween behind the back <laughs> and one shots in, in, in against other pros. And he's getting 40, not 40, maybe like 30 game speed game reps. Uh, so I, I do think there's ways to practice it. You know, when, when I was on, uh, doing skill development for Beijing, there was just like one shooting drill that I would do where if I knew a guy was maybe slightly weaker psychologically like didn't have the makeup got nervous a little bit I would do drills where you know we would compete like these five these three guys against these three guys and it would be like all right you guys got to make seven in a row and the seventh shot has got to be this player on this side and it's got to be this player on this side and you could just see like they were good shooters but then you could see the guys who like as it got there they would miss it and then when they miss it you know they'd feel bad because their teammates are like, oh yeah, it's cool, yeah. Come on, the next one. And if they miss that game winner again, it would be like the just like mounting pressure, right? So oh, yeah. you know that's also why like high school coaches will be like, Cole, come to the free throw line. You got uh, shoot shoot this free throw And and if you make it, nobody has to run. If you miss, we're doing a we're doing seventeens. You <laughs> like your heart. I do think there are situations where you can, you can create people to handle pressure. Like I don't think all Navy seals or sniper military snipers are like have an it factor, but they're able to train handling high pressured, like high demanding situations and have certain tools to equip them to better handle the situation. So whether that's the it factor or not, I don't know, but I, I I would imagine, yes, that there are certain ways that we can we can train that quality, um, whether that's like in basketball or outside of basketball, because I think it's not just in the sport of basketball, but maybe in their DNA, their character, how they are at home, how they deal with people. I do think it uh, it extends to those areas as well for some of those people. For sure. No, I mean, I think I'm
2: probably taking a shot in the dark here. Um, I'm definitely taking a shot in the dark here, but. <laughs> I would say number one, you like you mentioned, you have to have the tools to perform with the level that somebody would consider you to have the it factor. So that's number one. But number two is I think environment is something that, you know, can, can breed players to have that it factor. I've had kids who come in the gym and they're timid, um, nonchalant, you know, the whole nine. And just being in the environment of, you know, six, seven, eight, other dedicated hungry um hoopers who may have that it factor it's kind of like uh it diffuses to them almost where they're like okay maybe they had it already maybe they didn't maybe they had some genetic predisp- predisposition to it but now they're like okay i know what this looks like and i can kind of allow this to come out in this environment um so kind of breeding an environment to um allow that it factor to come out with competition with decision-making with all these things that really engage players and drive them or or nudge them towards um allowing this to come out and then i think number three is just um artificially or not manufacturing situations in which that athlete has to persevere through something now a lot of guys and girls get this naturally right? We, we had this conversation about Damian Lillard, all the crazy shit that he's been through. And I mean, if you get through all that and there are some athletes that I've worked with who have just had extremely difficult conditions and they're strong enough to get through it and still be hooping. Well, damn right. They had the it factor because they got through something that's way deeper than basketball. For sure. Um, but I do think there are times on the court where we can breed this with athletes. i tweeted something about this today where I was like I don't really feel the need to verbally, you know, talk down or motivate or really say anything to my athletes because a lot of what I let do what a lot of what I let happen is the task or the environment creates that adversity for them where they're trying to figure something out. They're trying to figure something out. They they get frustrated, they get angry. And then eventually they have that breakthrough and that's almost practice to me where at a much more micro scale compared to some of these macro life events that can happen, you're getting practice, you're getting reps, breaking through walls, breaking through walls, solving problems that frustrate you. And eventually, I think, again, you're not going to get to that Kobe it factor, but you can create a mindset where, you know, you're you're pretty resilient to stress, you're pretty resilient to tough situations. And ultimately, you can get in a game and feel comfortable when that adversity hits. So I think it's trainable to a certain extent, again, long-winded, um, but I, we're on the same page in the sense of like, it's, it's genetic, it's early childhood, but it's also what environment you are housed in and your training environment and, and just life otherwise.
0: And it's um, interesting because it. there's plenty of kids who play and who are, had the it factor at Rucker park Berry Farms, who never made it to the league, and there is plenty of players who grew up uh, white collar, never experienced any, had mom and dad uh, love, <laughs> complete no bullying, no adversity, and made it to the NBA and are, are good NBA players, right? So it, it, it is to it is a over it's reductionist for us to say like oh like you need to have some type of it's these factors or whatnot. It's very clear that it's multifactorial and you can make it both ways. And that is what's the interesting thing is that that, well, there's a beauty in that is that like anybody who's listening to that, there's, there's hope (laughs) as in like, you don't have to be, you don't have to fit in a certain paradigm or have a certain experience and be like, Oh, well that, Oh, I need to go manufacture adversity in my life. To make it, it's like, uh, yes and no, (laughs) maybe adversity on the court. You don't have to manufacture like family Mm -hmm. adversity to do that. So, oh, exactly. uh, Yeah, it's definitely a interesting topic and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what people say in the comments as, as they talk about, you know, their upbringings and stuff. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, at the end of the day, man, we don't know what the hell is going on with this. (laughs) We don't know what the hell the factor is. We just know some some humans, some athletes have it, some don't. Why is the reason for that? What does it entail? We don't know yet, <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely something that we'll keep trying to crack that code. Um, all right, so moving on a little bit into, well, actually, I want to I want to circle back to something earlier. Um, I think something that's becoming a lot more relevant um amongst trainers is just the simple idea of block versus variable practice or random practice whatever you want to call it just like Mm -hmm. the idea of uh maybe shooting 50 shots from the same spot may not be ideal or maybe it does work for whatever reason where do you see um all right i'll ask you this first where do you see standard traditional block practice to fit if anywhere um and where because for some guys and some girls, like they just it's just something where it's like, I need this to feel confident. I, I, I know that this works for me. For so sure. how does that in a way go against the side sometimes? And then how can we start to become or or work towards um, that variable random side of things um, without making too much of a of a jump from what players are used
0: to? Yeah. So that's a great question. We all know that one kid who does 500 makes on the gun every day and talks about it all the time. Oh yeah. This morning, 6.00 AM got there. Yeah. Just 500 makes. I went 500 for six, 650. I mean, it's no big deal. Right. And he's telling you this as you guys are getting ready to play pickup and he shows and he goes like, Oh, for seven. And, and everyone's like, Oh, great gun work, man. Uh, I'm not belittling shooting on the gun or whatever device it is, but we all know that there is a gap in training like, and does it actually uh, transfer to, you know, it on court performance. And so I do think block training is important. There's a feather. I think blocked uh, block training or block practice is very important for skill stabilization, right? So if if you got a kid who's coming into your gym and you know he's like, Cole, my release is just way too high. And I want to lower, I want to re- lower the release, or I want to be less hitchy, or if it's a, a certain skill that he needs to work on, well, he if he doesn't know what the the movement pattern is, how can he stabilize the skill, right? So there needs to be some type of practice to, to stabilize the movement pattern. It's what? Why do we do iso lunges in the weight room? Why do we do certain movements? Is, is to to give people strength in certain positions, or to to feel like to to get that motor pattern firing? Right. So I do think in regards to to stabilizing a skill, you need block practice as in reps. You need to to just get in reps. But many people pass that point of stabilization pretty fast. Like if you're, you're, you're a good shooter, you're not really changing anything in your shot anymore. Well, then, you know, in uh, Rob Gray talks about it, like re- repetition without repetition in, in the book. Um, whereas in like you, there, no actual rep is actually exactly the same. And the person who can cr- have variability in their training is actually the more adaptable person, adaptable person in that he can change his shot in different situations and problem solve in different situations. So where it fits in, I feel like it fits in at the beginning of a workout. Um, If you're just trying to increase body temperature, if you're just trying to uh, get somebody confident in seeing the ball go in and, you know, (laughs) I I just, I just give me like fifty shots. I just need to get warmed up. Just, I, I just need like fifty. I, I got to get the feel. I got to feel. You guys are using these uh, Wilson balls. I'm used to the NBA leather ball. I just need to get. I need to get my tactile feeling right. You hear that a lot, and, and that's okay. So if there is a, a mental component of it, yeah, sure, I do it. The other times we do it are on like low days. So you know, after you know a hard day of maybe five on five or playing, and we want him to get in the gym, but I don't want him to move. Right. So like in Daniel. Bob's book, he talks about, you know, there's force plates, there's all these devices that we can measure load and people's readiness, but ultimately time on feet. Yep. (laughs) I have it somewhere too. Time on feet (laughs) uh, is is one of the most important things. And so yes, when he's doing shooting, it's still time on feet, but at least he's not moving, right? At least he's not moving. He's not decelling. He's not accelerating. He's not jumping super hard. So that's kind of where I see it. But I always try to have – I always try to destabilize the skill within the skill. So what I mean by that is like let's take spot shooting. Spot shooting is a very stable skill. You're in the corner. I'm passing you the ball. What does every trainer in every workout video – if you type into YouTube NBA trainers workout and you watch any NBA trainers workout, every pass is a perfect pass on the seams to the player's shooting pocket. It's like – imagine me stepping into like Steph, Steph's workout. I wouldn't be like, Phew! like I wouldn't be like these <laughs> super bad passes, but you know, with Jeremy, I, after he does warm up, after there is some block practice, like I rarely give him a pass on the seams and we, we intentionally practice that because it's the same shot. He should release it from the same position tech, like theoretically, but by me passing it off to the left, he's got a pull it to his shooting pocket. If I pass it high and he's got to jump and get it and pull it down to his shooting pocket, no longer do those patterns feel different. Like you mentioned with the, with your analogy with like jumping a little bit to the side or, or someone kind of uh, contested shots. Like when we do contested shots, we rarely contest the same way. So there are times where I do try to poke Jeremy's eyes out when contesting a shot. There are other times where I actually try to block his shot. There are other times where I'm coming from the side or from the back. And he doesn't know if I can block his shot. So there is a sense of like, is he there? Is he not there? Do I look back or do I just shoot it? Or do I just let him block the shot? Or no, there's no way he's too short. So, but just cognitively thinking of that, does that affect his shot? Right? So there's so many ways to create variability in simple, not simple, but skill training that I think are overlooked in People are like, you don't need variability just for the sake of variability, is what I'm saying. You don't need to come up with a super complex joke because you're like, oh, variability is, is what does skill acquisition. It's, 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 to me, it's the little variability within a stabilized skill to, de- to destabilize uh, that skill. For sure. No,
2: I mean, I always use the example if you're going from the corner to the wing. And back and forth, that's variability. If you're taking a step side to side, that's variability. Obviously, there's a spectrum of what variability is, um, but you don't have to get crazy high on that spectrum to reap the benefits of variable practice. Um, so I love the the not even bad passing, but just imperfect, I guess, passing. Like, dudes, it's so funny. I always have like the first workout with like somewhat high level guys like kind of mad when I'm giving them like some passes up here and pass up here. And I've even had dudes be like, bro, can you give me a good pass? I'm like, you're gonna get a good pass in a game every time? Do you wanna go just like shoot on the gun? All right, fine. Then we'll we'll stick with this. So it's uh I think it's something that a lot of people are starting to to see, but it's it doesn't have to be, you know, a crazy level of variability to reap those benefits. Now we could go on about skill acquisition for hours and hours too. So I want to touch on this last topic real quick. And I think this will be the one that I'm most interested in hearing your perspective on. Um, You've been around the NBA um, as well as obviously in China with professional teams, you've been around other trainers, a ton of high level athletes, um, but more importantly, the trainer side of things. What would be your advice to the younger trainer getting into the game Um, both on kind of the technical side of things, so what to learn, what not to learn, and then probably more importantly on the human side of things, the life that comes along with being a trainer at a high level?
0: Yeah, I mean, so before I talk about that, there's actually one thing I would like to plug or squeeze in before that would segue to my answer kind of, uh, into into that conversation and you know we talked earlier about like what's the difference between high school to college what's the difference between college to the nba why are these guys who are so good so talented they, they can't make it to the league that is also a multifactorial answer but i guess there's a lot of hoopers and trainers that are probably listening they're going to be listening to this podcast and one thing that i I think that does get overlooked that you and i discuss is the importance of one you know deliberate practice in our training but then also like intention and attention right intention i with an i and attention with an a in in regards to our training so you have so many d1 d2 d3 pro guys coming to your gym right you can right away see who and we use the word locked in but who is focused and like intention, like they're focused on, Cole said, we're doing this drill. They heard everything you say. They know what we're doing. Like what is the intent of this, of this drill? And they're very focused during, um, during the drill. Then there's a component of attention. So Cole taught me this new skill or whoever, whatever skill development trainer coach, there's a component of attention where now you have to apply it. Right. So you've acquired a new skill and you you can do it. It's stabilized. But you have to have attention in pickup game or at your high school game or college game to use that new skill that you have. Like the moment has presented itself to use the new move or thing. And if you're not paying attention, you're not going to stabilize that skill in your in your bag or arsenal because you didn't use it uh, when you have the opportunity. And so, all the the like for me, it's it's not who you who your trainer is. Yes, if you're, you you want to work with the best person you can work with, or someone who who's invested in you and, and obviously cares for you. But you can make it, and you can become a great player on your own too, if you can understand this concept of having intention uh, when you work out on your own, on what you're trying to work on, and then. Creating a feedback loop for yourself and say you don't have a coach, you can film yourself, you can watch yourself, right? You have YouTube at your access to watch other people, your height to deal with the same situations, right? Your own body type and that kind of stuff. So uh, that is something I don't think it's talked enough about in, in skill development when I, when I see a lot. And then the, the importance of deliberate practice over time. I think a lot of people in today's generation think like one off season. I'm going to come down to details by any means. I'm going to train for three weeks and I'm going to become an all star or I'm, I'm going to go D1 now because I got this or I, I went with this trainer. Right. And LeBron, Jordan, all these guys like they didn't hit their peaks till or, or win their MVPs till 29. Right. I think. Yeah. LeBron was 28. Jordan was 29. I think Kobe was 29. uh, Iverson was maybe like 26 and Durant was 29. So I'm only saying that is that like 22 should not be like your end goal. Obviously, like if you don't make it past college, like you're not going to play more. But what I'm saying is like people don't reach their peaks till that 29, 30, 31. So basketball like improving is consistency over time it's compound interest it's it's off season after off season off season into the into season and then into the off season that makes players like by the time they're 10 seasons away it's like they're so far away they're so much more elite than you are because not it's not just the reps it's the knowledge and the intent they accumulated over over that time so i don't know who i was plugging but i wanted to plug that point (laughs) and and i guess my Why I wanted to plug that before, you know, I give advice to other trainers is that as a trainer myself, we have to carry that same mentality of wanting to be elite trainers is we need intention in our workouts. I need to have intent and focus in my workout. When I'm training a player, uh, I need to be locked in as to what I'm trying to accomplish with my player. And then I have to care about the player in the sense that like, like i said these players reach mvp at 29 right like if they, if i'm treating these people as as cattle or that kind of stuff like they're never going to develop right so growth takes a lot what i'm saying is growth takes a long time and as trainers like we need to have that same intent that same and, and that same variability and feedback loop for ourselves so what i mean by that is like after every training session i probably spend the first five minutes in the car assessing the training session as in what went well, what did not go well, like processing how I can improve myself. And and I'm iterating. I'm, I'm always thinking like, okay, what went well, what didn't go well. But that can be every facet. That could be my communication. How many times, if Jeremy had asked me the drill, like what's the drill, like three times? Like I didn't do an effective job communicating. If he did it wrong or the skill wasn't acquired, then the maybe the method I chose wasn't correct. So I think trainers are afraid to, be vulnerable or mess up or or look dumb like in front of their players and so they go to like what's their bread and butter or they go to like what they know they can look good in in the drill or they do a drill where they know they can get the person to fail so they think the person thinks it's like a super hard drill because they got them to fail failing is important negative feedback is 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 very important but so I, i would say you know that is like personal development side i think that's really important i do think as trainers like it's strength and conditioning is very new, right? In it's inception. Like it's only been around, I don't even know, like 1967. Don't quote me on that, but it's relatively a new profession compared to other professions. And so I do think there's a lot of things that we can, we can grow. So as trainers, like you don't have to know everything, but there are some things that you should understand about basketball. So, the most simplest is reverse engineering the sport, right? Do you understand bioenergetics of basketball energy systems? Like what are the time motion demands of basketball work rest ratio? So if you got a player who's playing on this squad and his squad is like running gun, how many times did he has to go up and down? How many times did he have to change direction? How many times is he jumping? Like, are you preparing your athlete correctly for the demands he's going to meet? Right. That's, that's really important. Right. Biomotor, understanding like the sport, where it is on force production. Is it more strength? Is it more speed? What what exactly is basketball and what are the qualities I need to enhance my player in? And then biodynamics, right? Movement, what what is what are the movements that create the greatest fatigue or what are the most common movements my athlete are gonna be doing? deceleration, right? If he's constantly deceleration, well, do I only want to train deceleration in the weight room? Uh, maybe not because then I'm doubling his load. I want him to be prepared for it. But so what I'm saying is like at its base, I think skill development trainers should understand the sport a little bit better in terms of the demands of it. You don't need to know like every study or, or all the science, but just the generals general components I think would be uh, really important. What I said, like time motion demands, like you can you can do that by literally watching your player. So I'll watch Jeremy and be like, okay, guess what? They're double teaming him in the CBA and they're hard hedging him every single time. So he's never gonna get what he wants off the first pick and roll. So maybe you know his offensive plays have gone from four seconds now to like seven or eight. So he needs to be ready to be able to do. Two to three pick and rolls, then play defense, then come back, and then what are the wor- what are the rest ratios like of him jogging, right? So, I think sim- sim- at the most basic premise, like trainers need to understand that, and then the the whole component of what we were talking about is skill acquisition, understanding like variability, understanding what really solidifies skill, how we build uh, intent into our workouts, wh- how we use constraints to. Allow new skills to emerge from our athletes. How do we encourage creativity? How do we encourage problem solving? I think are really important. And then it's up to you where you want to go. If you love SNC, like go into that. Go go strength, sign up for strength coach network fundamentals. Like sign up for that stuff. Like go do the certification, read more. But if it's more of the coaching perspective, like Uh, Brett Bartholomew, like that whole like conscious coaching, connecting with players, if that's more of your thing, like you should go that route. But ultimately, you should enhance like what you're really good at. And then whatever your weakness is, or limiting belief, find ways to attack that. And what I mean by limiting beliefs is I think every trainer, every person in this world has some limiting beliefs that are in their head. I can't make it because I didn't play in the NBA. I can't be a great trainer because I can't dunk, I can't do this. I can't make details gym because I'm only 22 and I only have no social media following. Right. So, okay. That might be true, but what are the things that you can do to, um, make those less bad or make them feel like not limiting factors. So that was a really long answer and I'm sorry for droning on. And there is a second component, but I'm going to let you respond to what I just said before I go into the second side.
2: (laughs) No, go into it, bro. Keep killing it. Uh,
0: Yeah. And I guess ultimately, I think (laughs) as strength, uh, as skill development coaches, like you have to know your why. And you have to know why you're in the game or why you're doing this. Um, I was texting with you earlier. There was that article in Players Tribune that came out like December 22nd. It was on Rob um, McCall- McCallaghan. And basically he was KD's trainer, Steph Curry's trainer, uh, the Adidas trainer. I'm sure if you've seen like the old, uh, like Derek Rose training, you would see in Russell Westbrook, you see him. He played at Syracuse and whatever. And basically he was at the high pinnacle training, all the NBA guys going on the Asia trips, doing all that stuff. And he, got divorced and then uh, he's just been struggling with suicide, suicidal thoughts, right. And mental health. And because, and why I'm bringing this up is you can achieve, you can become an MBA skills trainer. You can have MBA clients on your roster. You can have multiple gyms. You can have your own app. You can be making, you can be an influencer, make millions of dollars, but if you don't know your why, or if you're not doing this for a bigger purpose or to for something bigger than yourself like what is it all for right like if if you take your own life or you have no family left like you've achieved everything but also have lost everything and i know there's a lot of trainers on here who are young and up and coming and they're thinking about like oh if i can just get that d1 guy in my gym if i can just uh have a youtube channel like that to get that passive income if i can just get these runs like i'll be set and I think this is a good lesson to see somebody who had, you know, Kevin Love, all these top NBA players in his circle and going to NBA games, uh, sponsored, you know, trainer endorsements that if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your players ultimately, right? So I think self-care, self-discipline, like being, taking action in your own life is what we as trainers need to do first and foremost, right? Cause, we're just all talk then if we're not living it out in our in our own lives right and and we're just being fake right we're like we're acting like we have it all together we're, we're being alpha in the gym being like oh yeah like oh yeah calling people out not being yes men, all that kind of stuff and then we're going home and like we don't know what we're doing we're dark and we're just have no kind of why and you know so i do think for trainers you need an it factor <laughs> to circle this back to the first question is, is kind of what's your why and what's your it factor. Um, And I, I hope people can resonate with this message. You know, I'm a little bit on the older side turning 36. So, you know, you're, I love what you've done and what you've created. And I'm hoping that I can just pass on some wisdom, like being a decade older than you. Um, And I'm sure there's trainers listening to this who are older than me. And I, I hope I can have conversations with you guys too uh but i just would love for all of us to find ways to collaborate continue to be iron sharpened iron and and have these conversations so that's that's much no
2: dude <laughs> mic drop mic drop right there that's great um sorry for the background noise and people just walked in my gym but no i mean i think that was i i literally felt like we were sitting face to face like you just giving much needed advice to me um Early in my career and it's, I mean, I'm sure a lot of younger trainers and older ones too will feel the same way where it's like, yes, we want the players. We want the money that comes along with it. We want everything, but why are we really doing this? Um, And I think that's something that the more we're able to understand the why behind why, why do we get into it in the first place? I don't think many people get into training for the money in the first place. Maybe. I know I didn't, and getting back to the roots of that is, in any career, huge, but especially one where you're exposed to hundreds of millions of dollars on a daily basis with athletes that you potentially could be working with, getting back to the roots of helping a human being and you know, helping a, a bulk of human beings um, become better, not only athletes, but better human beings is you know something that I have to focus on more something that I think, um, will become as I start to develop hopefully an an even bigger focus of my daily life is how can I promote, um, just the underlying love that we have for what we do and, and, and more importantly, why we do it and the right reasons that we do it. So man, that was gold. Um, overall, the, the entire, entire podcast was absolutely amazing. Um, I took a lot from it. I'm sure everyone else will. So, we'll definitely have to have a part two. Um, we we'll have to do a part two in the well, day, sure we'll back it. in PC. Yes. Another ice plunge. Yes. yes, for sure, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it in an ice plunge. We'll just be talking like the Kevin uh, Hart, Kevin Kevin Hart cold bath. Style. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, no, look, man, thank you so much for the time. I know it's late. You know you got the newborn, um, but I appreciate you taking. Your time and dropping some gems and enjoy the time and we'll be in touch and continue to have these conversations. So appreciate it, man.
0: For sure, I'll have to make it way down to to Miami at some point and and get some of this work Yes, in.
2: sir. And some coffee. Yes, sir. Oh, <laughs> hey, we'll, well, yeah, we'll talk about that off off air. <laughs> <laughs> For sure.
0: Cool.